The Gist is sponsored by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, May 19th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. You know I like that New York Times, right? Get it to my house every day. All right, I get it like three days a week, maybe four. It's just stolen a lot. So I hope some street person is really educated. That story on Pakistan and the, and the fake schools was great. But, you know, and then sometimes I got my complaints with the New York Times. Read the headlines on the way to school with my son. We were th- we learned the word volatility. We learned the word hedge funds. You don't really need to know the word hedge funds. Weird headline today. He he said, "What does this mean?" Lane Bryant's parent to buy Ann Taylor for two billion dollars. Yeah, if you didn't know those were names of companies, you would think something weird was going on with the Times. But I bring up the Times for a call I just got right before I walked into the studio. Call from Eldridge, Iowa. I think it was Eldridge. Hello. Yes. Hi. I'm glad you enjoy the New York Times. I do too. So odd that someone from Eldridge would call to tell me that. Well, they have a special offer. Blah, blah, blah. You get special offer. You get free crossword puzzles. You get digital access. You could give three people digital subscriptions as presents for 12 weeks. Listen, there's no such thing as giving someone a present for 12 weeks. Okay. That's loaning them a present. That's not a present. But anyway, she said, Hey, do you want to take me up for a free trial on this offer? Some crossword puzzle stuff, some free things to give to your friends and then take them back. And you know what? I'll let you try this out for four weeks. And I said, no, thanks. And she said, then I am authorized to let you try it out for eight weeks. I I did not know I was engaged in a negotiation. I did not know that I was pressing her for the hard sell. But now I'm extending this to you. If the New York Times calls up and asks you for four weeks for a free trial, just say no. They're going to come back with the eight. I know we're breaking the business model of the New York Times, but man, would I felt like a sucker if I had said yes to the four-week offer, knowing that for eight weeks I could extend friends and loved one 12-week access to the New York Times and then take it away. On the show today, I spiel about the institution of the restaurant. And then we play our favorite game, wherein we question scientific claims. We call it, is that bullshit? You could call it something else if you don't like the dirty talk, but I didn't mention the restaurant, right? There's going to be a lot of puns. Anyway, Maria Konnikova is here to talk about hand sanitizers. Are they bullshit? But first, a pithy and to-the-point conversation with Annie Lowry about the long, long presidential election. Joining me now is Annie Lowry, contributing editor at New York Magazine, but really more importantly for us at the Panoply Network. She is a panelist on the newest podcast. It is called the Podcast for America, for America people. She, Alex Wagner, Mark Leibovich, and Annie Lowry. Hello, Annie. Hey, great to be here. So you're for America. I want to I want to establish that right up front. I am. And we we both have a podcast for America and I think we're going to at some point have a related super pack for America. I we'll hope see. so. Well, you got to first <laughs> I think first you have to get the acronym and then retrofit it to what the words mean. Yeah, I think right. that's right. So I want to talk about the length of the campaign. Yeah. And it's been portrayed as certainly a bummer and I can't believe how long this is, but let's cover it. Other than the fact that it will be grueling to journalists, probably to the public, and will be tougher on candidates than it usually is, are there any aspects of the length of the campaign that will affect who the nominee may be? Things we're not thinking of. 
Sure. So I think it's worth stepping back. And when we think about the long campaign, let's think about like what the long campaign entails, like what is happening. So we know that there's kind of a media cluster, right? Mm -hmm. But let's put that to the side. Like what are candidates actually doing that's constituting a campaign in these very early days? And they're raising money primarily. And they're contacting the media primarily. And it's not in my mind, like a full-fledged campaign. It's just kind of campaign light. But don't you think the uh, role of money will be more exacerbated because it's uh, uh, longer? You need, instead of eight months worth of offices to rent, you need 18 months, for instance. But no, it's absolutely true that it just means that you're hiring people for a longer period of time. Doing more travel, which is a lot of the expense of these campaigns. Doing more advertising buying, which is an even bigger expense of these campaigns. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, but the advertising by, I mean, no commercials. When will commercials begin to count? Within a couple weeks of the first primary, do you think? Yeah, it's going to take a while. And the other thing is, the early ad campaigns are all you know going to be within party, right? So uh, Hillary Clinton isn't going to have to spend very much on them at all. But these, these Republicans are probably going to have to spend some, but it's going to be fairly targeted, right? Like when they're doing these early ad buys, it's going to be in Iowa, it's going to be in New Hampshire, it's not going to be like national. And that's the thing is the national campaign isn't going to start much earlier, I don't think, at least not this round. Yes. Now, another aspect of the long campaign, I think, one yeah. thing I like about campaigns when the actual voting occurs is you shake out the candidates who never had a chance. Yeah. And some of them won't go away because they're in it for reasons. You know, Pat Buchanan wants to run because he wants to be seen as a candidate right. who runs, whereas Tom Vilsack, he's a serious guy who doesn't want to waste his time. And when it becomes apparent there will not be a Vilsack presidency, he's out. This long campaign just keeps people who had really no chance in it. And even though you'll hear the argument, oh, that's a lot of voices, I, in yeah. fact, thinks it, think it quiets the voices. It's a lot of voices saying nonsense that won't have any effect on the candidacy. I, in fact, think that if everyone is only allocated a one and a half minute soundbite, a really good voice can't break through. I think that it probably increases the chances that you get more candidates who are very clearly not going to win, who are doing it for somewhat cynical purposes. The the Mike Huckabees and the Newt Gingriches of the world, like they're not going to win, but they have a lot of upside in simply running, right? Like mm -hmm. they remind the public that they are thought leaders in their party. It actually makes them a lot of money down the road when they get kind of contracts with media companies and whoever else uh, or speaking fees, that kind of thing. And so I think it's worth always looking at these people who are running skeptically and saying that like a lot more than would ever admit it are running for cynical reasons. On the Democratic side, I think it's mostly folks who are running either to move Hillary Clinton around or to like try and get a position in her cabinet. You know, the long campaign might help Hillary Clinton because she's disciplined and raises a lot of money. Yeah. But I think in a way it could hurt because if one of the number one negatives against her is the idea of inevitability, it just makes the it draws out the seeming inevitability. It may, right. it, you know, we think of it as, well, she's going to be the candidate. And we start thinking of, of that so much longer. Maybe it becomes annoying, more annoying than it would have if it were the normal course of things where people wouldn't have even been declaring by now.
if she loses, it's not going to be because people thought of her as inevitable and therefore didn't vote for her, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if Hillary Clinton loses, it's going to be because people didn't want to vote for a Democrat or they didn't want to vote for a woman or they didn't want to vote for her. And it's not going to have a lot to do with inevitability, I'm convinced. Yeah, but I would just counter that one of the reasons they might not want to vote for her, okay, it might not land on that exact word, but it might have something to do with the same old Clinton nonsense and right. her, her baggage. Atti- yeah, and you know, and nepotism yeah. and who does she think she is and stuff like that, which could be exacerbated by the fact that we have to hang out with her for a year and a half. I think that there's probably also an effect that all of the critiques of her are kind of punching themselves out because we've heard them and they feel really old and they feel really stale. Even the stuff about the Clinton money, which is in some ways like new and shocking and amazing. And it's amazing to me that you can have any new information coming out about the Clintons at this point. But it's still, it still, it somehow feels a little bit crusty. And I think that it remains to be seen with that you know, those folks in the middle are actually going to be convinced by. Do you think, as some say, media should not cover a candidate until that candidate officially declares? No, that's ridiculous. Like, it's so obvious what they're thinking about running. They hire people. They go to these states, whatever. When they choose to declare, at that point, it's just, you know, it's like a like a symbolic thing by the time that it happens. You know, it was so clear that Hillary Clinton was running before she was running. So, yeah, I think that's silly. No rational human would possibly spend this much time in Iowa but for the caucuses. Yeah, no, exactly. It's very true. <laughs> unless you were unless you were Iowan, you know? Right. Or, or like maybe it's like, look, I, I don't want to run for president. I just happen to have vacation homes in Iowa and New Hampshire and I'm friendly with the Koch brothers. Yeah, it just no, exactly. happened like, to be. I don't live in New England. I don't have a lot of ties to New England. I just love the great state of New Hampshire. If I had to rank the states, I'd go Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, (laughs) then a bunch of southern ones a few weeks later. (laughs) Yeah, Florida. It's all really good for me. Annie Lowry is a third of the podcast for America. Listen to it on Panoply. Thank you, Annie. Thanks. If you want to subscribe to the Podcast for America, which is up and available right now, go to iTunes.com slash Panoply. If I were a capitalist, and I kind of am, I'd definitely buy a razor company, or I would have a few years ago. I mean, this is what Warren Buffett was thinking. He's like, Gillette, men have to buy razors. We could charge them whatever we want to charge them, and they'll have to pay it. All true until now, until Harry's. Move over, Warren, just a little bit over. You're still doing all right. And enter Harry's, a razor company that is created by two guys who are passionate about better shaving experiences. So passionate, they bought a razor factory in Germany, and they cut out the middleman, as only razor men can do. So they're offering you an amazing shave at a fraction of the price. Words, 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 let me throw the numbers at you. $15. For $15, you could get a starter set, which includes razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shaving cream or the foaming gel. I use the shaving cream. So remember when I said $15? All right, unreliable narrator. Actually $10, because we can give you a $5 off coupon if you use the code GIST at checkout and you're a new user. After using the code, you get a month's worth of shaving for 10 bucks. Oh, they get you on shipping, right? No, shipping is free. It's really 10 bucks. 10 bucks out of your pocket and a lot of beard off of your face. Go to harrys.com now and harrys will give you $5 off if you type in the code GIST with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and enter coupon code GIST at checkout for $5 off your first purchase on the starter set and start shaving smarter today.
we're sitting outside. We're at an outdoor cafe. A very, in fact, the same seats the last time you heard us at an outdoor cafe. You want to know why? Maria Konnikova, you could give the secret. Why is it the same well, exact seats? it may be because I love seeing you, and we have a reserved standing reservation She's every single week. She's yes. a creature of habit. Um, yes. Or it might also be that we don't tape a single segment at a time. We do two in a row. Yeah. Yeah, that it might be that. We'll it throw might that be that. There. Might be that. Might be that. Right. We'll let the listeners decide for themselves. Yeah. Well, the only way to decide is if we're quiet and we could discern that the conversation in the background is different people or the same people from a week ago. <laughs> All right. So I was telling you this story. I went, I got a physical for the first time in like 22 years. And um, one thing bothered me about it. I used the key to the bathroom. The key was on a rubber band. And I waited for it. And the guy who brought the key back had it held in a paper napkin and he kind of positioned the paper napkin to put the key on the hook so he wouldn't have to touch any part of the key apparatus. And then he threw the paper napkin in the garbage. And I said that bo- I said to the receptionist, I was like, I work here. And they said, yeah, he's the dentist in the practice. And I said, that bothers me for two reasons. One is... If it's so dangerous for him, shouldn't he be telling me that? Like, are these microbes going around that I need to freak out about? And the other thing is, like, isn't he just being overly paranoid? Isn't he just the... Do I really want to go to a paranoid dentist? Maybe I do. I eventually rationalized it by saying, you know, let's say there's a one in a thousand chance that something's on that key. I have this one exposure just coming to the doctor's office once. He's here, you know, maybe using that key three times a day. So statistically speaking, it's a little smarter for him to use it. But I would be, I would be better, I would feel better if he just swooshed himself with a little Purell afterwards. What do you think, Maria? Well, uh, Mike, you just oh, reminded me. Oh, by the way, this, this is because we're playing Is That Bullshit? Hand Sanitizer. Go. So this, this reminds me. Thank you for reminding me. I brought my little Purell with me. Now that you've told the key story, I'm going to Purell. And may I invite the two yes. of you to Purell yes. as well? Um, and if you're going to be really, really anal about this, you might want to Purell the microphone and everything else you're touching. Because yeah. if you touch it again, you just invalidate your Purell motion. So... I think that was their original slogan. Mm. If you're going to be anal, Purell. Yes. It works on two levels. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's a couple questions mm-hmm. involved with Purell. Yes. Does Purell work? Does Purell do what it says it does? So, and that's, that's the brand name. Yes. It's this hand sanitizer. Yes. That, yeah. um, so there are, let me answer that in two parts. Because it's, it's similar to does washing your hands work? The answer is yes, if you do it properly, uh-huh. but not for everything, which is true of hand washing and true of sanitizers, not just Purell, but Purell among them. Right. So you can so, wash your hands out of dirt, but not over the deep guilt associated with putting your mother in a nursing home. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then I'll call you Lady Macbeth for, for the rest of, uh, for the rest of uh, our lunch. Spot was my mom's name. Yeah. Yes. That's so when I said out, out. She took it personally. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) So, you know, when you wash your hands, did you actually get everything off? Well, only if you're washing with hot water with enough soap. And enough soap isn't just a tiny bit. It's really lathering up for 20 seconds or more. Two happy birthdays. Hence the two happy birthdays. Larry David's uh, constant routine. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Boris. Happy birthday to you. Is this your 
birthday? You don't know you have to sing happy birthday twice to get the germs off? 20 seconds is a really long time. Most people don't actually wash their hands for 20 seconds. For Purell, it's e actually a little bit easier to get it right because oh. it takes a little less time, but you need to use more than you think you need, yeah. and you need to really make sure to get it everywhere, in between your fingers, everywhere that you can possibly come into contact with. And even when you do that, certain things will not be killed. So it, if you notice, my little Purell thing says kills 99.99% of germs. What it doesn't say is that it doesn't kill things like C. difficile, which is one of the most common pathogens that if you have a compromised immune system can be really, really bad for you and cause diarrhea and all sorts of other unpleasantness. So there are certain things that don't get killed with Purell. And I think one of the things that people worry about with hand sanitizers is, are they going to cause resistance? Um, you know, the microbial resistance, antibiotic resistance is a really huge thing. And I asked Maren McKenna this. Um, she's kind of the expert on this type of resistance. She wrote a book, Superbug. Yes. So I asked her specifically about hand sanitizers, and she said that most of them are alcohol-based. Um, and those don't do anything when it comes to resistance. So we should only, that fear-mongering is only true of the types of things that are antimicrobial soap, which is not most hand sanitizers. Those we should not use because those can cause resistance. Then I asked her another question. I said, okay, Marin, if I were to say, are you going to wash your hands or give you a hand sanitizer, you have both, which would you choose to do? And she said, well, obviously it depends because water gets rid of surface grime in a way that hand sanitizers does not. However, if she were on a subway, she'd hand sanitize because you need to kill those bacteria. And she does carry hand sanitizer with her because the fact is, even if you don't like hand sanitizers for whatever reason, you often can't wash your hands properly. Right. There's water, but there's no soap. There's water and soap, but there's no good way of drying your hands. Um, there's no hot water. If it's just cold water, forget it. You need you need the water to actually be of a certain temperature. It needs to be warm to hot. And if you're in a bathroom that you know has all of these automatic things and the soap dispensers are not working, once again, hand sanitize. So we should really not be worried about microbial resistance as long as we're using an alcohol or plant or other based one. Maria, I consider you wise, but also prudent, but you have admitted in this conversation you're a little anal. Is most of your use of hand sanitizer, where does it fall? Give me a self-assessment. Is it mostly wise and rational and a little overboard or mostly overboard and a little irrational? It used to be mostly overboard and a little irrational. I'm now using it much less than I did two years ago. So now I would say it's getting towards the wiser Good. part but still probably has some amount of irrationality. Okay, so let me... Let's because I learn about all these germs and then I think, oh my God, this is terrible. Yeah. So let, let's play this and let me put this in, I think, a fair way because, you know, how we... Uh, pose the is that mm -hmm. bullshit question has a lot of bearing on the yes or no yeah. answer. When used effectively, sparingly, judiciously, and properly, is hand sanitizer a helpful, maybe even necessary thing? Absolutely. All right. Maria Konnikova, science expert, dining companion, self-identified, anal retentive. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Slate is embarking on an ambitious and exciting new project, 
and the topic is slavery. So slavery, of course, in America was abolished in stages, individual states, then the Emancipation Proclamation, which only extended to the states that were fighting on behalf of the South, the 13th Amendment, but we're still feeling its after effects. And how much do you really know about America's foundational institution? This is the question that's being asked by Jamel Bowie and Rebecca Onion and leading academics and historians in the first ever Slate Academy. This Slate Academy is called The History of American Slavery. It is a nine-part podcast series, and it is exclusively for members of Slate Plus. Visit slate.com slash academy to learn more. And now the spiel, the breast is yet to come. So yesterday we talked about the biker fracas in Waco, Texas, nine dead. We mentioned the names of the gangs involved, Leathernecks, Cossacks, Booze Hounds. We didn't mention the Booze Hounds. I want to do that here. We did not mention the name of the restaurant where these bikers met to Waco News KXXV. And one SWAT officer on the scene at Waco's Twin Peaks restaurant said he'd never seen such chaos. Twin Peaks. Now, that might not be of interest to you until you realize that Twin Peaks is a double entendre. It's a really lame one, so it's maybe at best a 1.7 times entendre. The Twin Peaks in question, they are a reference to boobs. Breasts, in fact, they are at the heart, well, near the heart, kind of outside the heart, but near the heart of a trend called restaurants. We have discussed restaurants on this show before. Of course, we have. We're eclectic. What are restaurants? Restaurants are where a keg that is musty, and food, slightly crusty, flows to sad men who are lusty by ladies who are busty. Other restaurant patrons, other than those sad guys, include families who might not know of the existence of non-breast restaurants. You know, flat chest restaurants or tastefully dressed restaurants, if you will. But knowing all the pneumatic nuances of the name Twin Peaks is enough to elicit an inappropriate titter, yes, I said titter, when hearing the words of, say, Patrick Swanton of the Waco PD. Those are individuals that were involved in the Twin Peaks shooting last night. They are shutting Twin Peaks down. Suspension of uh, business for Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks, by the way, was the fastest growing restaurant chain in America in 2013. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say that I am not at least partly intrigued by much of the appeal of the restaurant. It is the arant part that dissatisfies me. Hooters food is not good food. The Tilted Kilt, based on the menu, reading it online, the Tilted Kilt seems to defile every Scotsman from David Hume to James Doohan. You know James Doohan. It'll hold for a bit. It has to hold longer than a bit. I'm sorry, sir. That's about the best I can do. And I guarantee it's not good enough. And other restaurants, restaurants in the genre, bombshells, bone daddies, Ojo Locos, Bikini Sports Bar and Grill, Show Me's, Mugs and Jugs, The Heart Attack Grill. None of them have good food either. They don't have any better food than the crappy Hooters food. Now, when I say better food, I'm not actually talking about good for you food. I'm not talking about kale. I only mean that I would rather have good bad food than bad bad food. Kale, by the way, could possibly be bad good food, which we could all agree is the worst. Okay, so with this in mind... So that we leave the spiel with something other than a coating of donkey sauce dripping down our chins and a little less hope for humanity. Let's engage in some larnin 
a restaurant quiz. Okay, Andrea, you have you seen this quiz beforehand? I have not. Okay. I will now ask you about the restaurants. So the first thing I wanted to do was ask you about menu items. Now, it turns out that there aren't many menu items that are puns. I guess people want to look at women's bodies, but don't want to eat food named after women's bodies. But there are some exceptions. So on the Tilted Kilt menu, which is an actual menu item. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. The Big Arse Burger, Knocker's Worst Sandwich, mm. Rack of Rack of Ribs, Side of Gorgazanga's Cheese, which they want you to know isn't a misprint because the Gonzanga is highlighted in a different font. Steak Titbits or Tater Tatas. So wait, which one's fake? Okay, we'll review. The Big Arse Burger, the Knocker's Worst Sandwich, the Rack of Rack of Ribs, the Side of Gore Gazanga Cheese, the Steak Titbits, or the Tater Tatas, which is a real one. Oh, only one's real? Only one's real. <laughs> I was working overtime suggesting menu items for the Tilted Kilt. <laughs> it's definitely not the Big Arse Burger. Uh-huh. Uh, the Rack of Rack of Ribs. Yeah, it's the Big Arse Burger. Yes, the big arse burger is the real item. Why don't they have the tater tatas? Okay, now another one of these restaurants is a place called Bombshells, and it's TNA to the USA. It's this World War II-themed place. Spot the phony menu item. Last one was a real menu item. Now spot the phony menu item. You ready? I'm ready. Remember, this is a World War II thing. So it's not body puns. It's World War II references. Will you be able to order at Bombshells the Allied Chicken Penny Alfredo? The Battle of the Bulge Hot Fudge Sunday, the Pearl Harbor Burger, including bacon, jalapenos, and pineapple, or Resistance Penne Pasta with Meatballs. <laughs> the Allied Chicken Penne Alfredo, the Battle of the Bulge Sunday, the Pearl Harbor Burger, the Resistance Penne Pasta. I think the fake one is the Battle of the Bulge Hot Fudge Sunday. It is the fake one. How'd you know? I thought that was totally realistic. You just don't want the word bulge next to Sunday. No one's going to order it. No, but you want arse next to your burger? I don't get that. All right. So anyway, on Amy Schumer's show, they had a very funny sketch where Amy goes to O'Nutters, which is, I suppose, the fictitious male equivalent of a restaurant. O'Nutters. Tim, what's your problem? I just don't understand why you guys would take me here. Uh, because you love hot wings? What are you talking about right now? I do. They're fine. It's just a guy doesn't want to come to O'Nutters right after a breakup. So, th Which leads me to my last question. Which of these actual restaurants, these were actual restaurants, showed up in Yelp when I searched for New York City restaurants? All right, this is something that really happened. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. A potato eatery named the Burlap Sack. I'm going to stop there. Because that really happened. That was the answer. Oh. There's a potato eatery named the Burlap Sack. And I thought that might be the male version of a restaurant. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. That really happened. The restaurant suggestion in Yelp was the Burlap Sack. Was it a crappy search function? Was it a sly commentary on the male gaze? No, it was neither. It's a delicious starch-based food concept on 34th Street. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi was the proprietor of a short-lived chain dedicated to pasta-loving elbow fetishists. Macaroni elbows, it's right around the bend. It never really took off. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was something shocking. Joe Meyer knows that. That is why our managing producer invested in a chain of restaurants where waitresses exposed only their ankles, but 
the leg joint never took off. Andy Bowers tended bar in a tavern owned by former Philadelphia 76er player and current NBA assistant coach Maurice Cheeks. You would be surprised what some of the patrons of Mo Cheeks expected. The gist has an employee discount to the following pubs, which all went out of business. The Velvet Pelvis, Turf Toes, a place for sports injuries, the Instep Inn, Duodnum's, the Toupee Cafe, the Whooping Coffee Bar, the Infected Toe Bistro, the Epiglottis Stop. Despite all that, thanks for listening. I'm Margaret Lyons. Join me, Matt Dollar Sites, and Gazelle Amami on this week's episode of the Vulture TV podcast, where we talk about the Mad Men series finale, Person to Person. The kissing, the crying, the Coca-Cola. You can subscribe to the Vulture TV podcast at itunes.com slash panoply.